it's that relative energy deficiency in sport, which is the culmination of not consuming enough for your body to properly recover, repair, and rebuild for those future sessions. And the problems that we see in the, in the immediate term, it's you're tired all the time. You're not hitting your performance markers. Um, you're, you know, even some in the immediate sense can have heart palpitations. And, uh, but in the, as you go along, you start seeing for females, loss of our cycle, hair loss, night sweats. It could be a dramatic weight loss, or it could be a weight increase. If your body's responding by holding on to the few calories that you are actually consuming. Um, and then eventually it's chronic fatigue, it's um, uh, stress fractures, it's osteoporosis, so low bone density, uh, sarcopenia, which is uh, low muscular, you know, low muscular tone throughout the body. So you're, you can only deprive your body long for a, a certain amount of time before it really does start to shut down. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and we're on a mission to create a better world, a world where people are woke to the life that resonates with them the most and are moving deeper into that life every day, as we say, a little bit every day over a long period of time. This world, the one I speak of, is one where we are in recognition of our unique gifts and joyfully stepping into the responsibility to share them. It truly is a world where, as our guest today would say, we are expressing through our best self ever. Elizabeth Inpine is a competitive athlete and sports performance nutrition guru whose aim is to assist everyone to living their best self, which she believes is who we all want to become. Elizabeth is a longtime and well-accomplished athlete. She was an NCAA swimmer, which was a path that began in a backyard 25-yard pool. And after receiving a bike as a birthday gift, she stepped into her role as a triathlete, which eventually led her to living her purpose as a nutrition guide for professional, elite, and age group endurance athletes. All right, are you ready for this educational resume? Elizabeth has an undergrad degree in biochemistry, an MS in sports performance nutrition, an MS in applied exercise science, an MA in education and health sciences. She is a certified sports nutritionist and holds her plant-based nutrition certification from the T. Colin Campbell Institute. She's got the educational cred, but perhaps even more important, she has years of the experience putting her knowledge into action with her own athletics and through the journeys of the athletes she guides. We love talking about reaching higher levels of health, and we've been looking forward to our chat, and we just found out that Elizabeth is like our neighbor, so so welcome to the neighborhood and welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you very much. It is nice to be here. A longtime listener, so a real pleasure. That's be, so cool. Um, to be on the show. And thank you for, one, pronouncing my last name correctly. 95% of people don't. And for that introduction, I would like you to read that at any professional <laughs> venture I have coming up. That is the, my favorite. I've heard that uh, multiple times. This is the best one yet. <laughs> <laughs> I do hair, makeup, yeah. and intros. <laughs> I'll do it all for you. Thank Perfect. you. Yeah, so we're chatting before we hit record, and we're talking about a connection that I saw on your website with Smash. And we started talking. I was like, oh, Hillary, and she's a friend of ours and lives here in town. And you're like, yeah, she... 
I don't know how we just said it, but you were like, yeah, she lives in town. You're like, wait a minute. Do you guys live in town? And now we all live in the same town. We do. We do. We are neighbors and um, now have the opportunity to connect in person, not just via computer screen. Yeah, totally. We need to have some tea time, some coffee time, whatever it is that uh, that you prefer. Show me all your local favorites. Mm. Uh, food, drink, trails, all the good stuff. And then we'll just go into shops and I'll read the intro and then you'll yeah. be me- and then you you can <laughs> meet people. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone should have that when they go when they enter a building or a room. <laughs> I love it. It's a new calling. All right. So we love this idea of the best self ever. I mean, it's a big thing on your website. Um, seems to be kind of like a, like this underlying driving force that, uh, really is kind of the, the destination if there is one for where you really want to see people go. So what is it? What is best self ever? Like, what does it feel like? What does it feel like? I will let you know when I get there. I think it is an ever evolving, ever changing um, place to be and kind of mindset to have a physical feeling, but also an emotional, there's a really big emotional component to that. And I think the older I get, the more I realize that you won't get to your best self potentially ever, but if you don't strive for that, you definitely won't get there. And so I think what your best self is at maybe 20 is different than 30 and 40. And the idea of kind of longing and, and reaching for that actively is what in turn actually makes a best life and a best self. And so I think it's finding where you are at the moment and being content and peaceful in that space, but then also challenging yourself to see what's next or what more, how could you grow and share your life uh, with other people and, and family and friends and community around you? I love that. We, um, we have a community called the Awake Athlete Community, and um, we come together once a month, and um, we're, going, we're reading The Four Agreements. We're just going through this book. I, okay, you, just by the expression on your face, I know that you've read this book or you're familiar with it. And we just finished The Fourth Agreement, which is, you know, uh, always do your best. And we were really kind of fleshing this out yesterday in our, in our meetup, and, and Don Miguel Ruiz, who is the author of that book, talks about how, and it's really quite pairing to what you just said is that, you know, we're always changing. Everything is always changing. And so our best is going to change. It's going to change from day to day. And, you know, as I have worked to shift habits or behaviors that I identified just didn't serve me any longer, there were times along that journey where I was like, okay, this is the best I can do right now, but I'm aware of it and I'm choosing it and at least I'm conscious of it and I'm going to just move forward from here. Um, but I love that how you said that because it is different. And I think we can give ourselves a little bit of grace when we say like it, it is, it's a process. It is a process and it's always going to be morphing and changing. Yes. And your best self is different than my best self. And I think that's the beauty of looking at it and that's kind of why we're all so different and individual is that it if if all of our our best self was the same I don't think that life wouldn't be as interesting but it also I don't know that we would get the things done that we need to do so 
acknowledging, I think it's important to acknowledge in other people what their best self is, kind of less from a place of judgment and more from a place of acceptance and celebrating their best self and their best life and to probably not comparing yours to theirs and finding kind of the, the space in between of celebrating your differences and, and accepting them, but yet still trying to be the best version of you mm. potentially. Yeah. I think, well, that's the slippery slope. It's the comparison, <laughs> right? The comparison, like, Oh, that's your best self. Why can't I be that? Why can't, and there's an obvious reason because I'm not you and you're not me. And um, I think you talked about it too, how important awareness is, like how, like a be aware of yourself. And, and that's sort of, it's the first step. It's not the only step, but it's a, it's an, it's an important first step. Do you think it's dangerous that we picked a sport that is so comparative, <laughs> that is so based on time and um, results and where you place in your age group? It's, and maybe it's a very hard, I know it's hard for me to navigate accepting where I'm at and what my best self might be whilst looking at other people's best or better, especially as I get older. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, I have been there and I've experienced that, but back to this awareness and trust in, in removing the time element that if you believe that you're on the path you're supposed to be on and you trust and have faith that you are who you are, you will get to where you need to go in time. And what we do is replace this time element on it. Like it needs to happen now. Like he's already qualified for Kona. Why am I not qualified for Kona? Why, why is there a discrepancy there? I work and then the comparison starts. But if you trust, if you can get into that space, and I know this is a big leap for a lot of people, which is why we really focus on a little bit every day over a long period of time, you start to cultivate this awareness that when your time is right, you will know. So continue to be your best self every day. It's going to morph. It's going to change. Eventually, if you believe it will happen, it must happen. The universe knows this. It must, it, it can't not happen. I get really passionate about this. Like, yeah. because I've been at this for 20 years, like 20 years, like it, it finally has come to fruition. But every step along the way got me to this, got me to this point. And if I had stopped and paused and continually indulged in the comparison, I would have been long lost a a long time ago and and had a frustrating, frustrating experience with the sport. Yeah. Listen up people. That is some very wise advice. (laughs) (laughs) It's easy to get frustrated. (laughs) So easy. But I think we put that constraint on ourselves and we put a timeline timelines irrelevant. Timeline is irrelevant. I'm sure you work with that in nutrition as well. I know we're going to talk about that, but um, what were you going to say in your experience? Um, that I think it's our relationship to, because there's got to be a winner and there's got to, there's going to be a first place and there's going to be a last place on the day, right? It's competition. And, um, and we all show up because there is that part of us that, you know, we are, we're, we're eking out that best self ever, mm-hmm. which is, is more than a time. It is more, and I and I think the longer we're in sport, and the more we experience, um, we learn that it's more than the finishing time. Like, there's how are we showing up? There's there's just so much wisdom. I'm going to go ahead and say wisdom that we learn when we're out there doing hard things by ourselves. And the only way to get to the finish line is, you know, by swimming, biking, and running. If we if we're using triathlon. But I think that as we grow in the sport and we we mature and we get through to these heightened 
levels of, of our best self that we can use what we see in others that we desire, we can use that in a way to drive us forward. I think we can use it in a positive way. What do you think? I absolutely agree. That's a beautiful way to put it. Um, and, and using it not in a, like putting ourselves down sort of way, but using it as like a guide almost to help navigate whatever it is that we're going through. Um, whether that's sport or nutrition or life in general, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I know a little bit about your story and it's so easy to, to kind of turn around and see the track and say, Oh yeah, look at it all added up to where she is today. Right. I'll add it up. Um, especially I love the, the, how you, kind of discovered the nutrition piece, which I want you to tell that story, but what's this backyard pool that started it all? My father was a swimmer, a collegiate swimmer, and then um, uh, swam in the Navy and competed for them. Um, So built a lap pool in the backyard so he could do laps. Like that was his thing. And my, you know, I would sit out there and count his laps for him until it was time for me to like at the end get in. And so he would then bring me into the pool when he was done with his laps in the morning before work. And, uh, you know, he taught me how to swim, taught me how to love the water, uh, is responsible for the long kind of stretched stroke that I have, like the old school, you know, the, which as a triathlete coach, you would die looking at, I am a, I'm a swimmer through and through. I do not have a fast turnover arm, you know, I'm out there for the long, for the long distance, but that it all came from him. And he had me on a, on a swim team. I think I was four. Uh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) this in the in the water enjoying and it's it's funny my brother also but I think as maybe sometimes fathers and sons like to have different things I clung to swimming um I think initially probably because it it represented and built had a relationship with my father and something we could do together and you know he started all my swim meets he was the the guy back in the day doing the start gun. It wasn't even a, it wasn't even a beef. That's how old I am. (laughs) So yes, it was in the backyard, learning how to swim, pretending I was an Olympian. He was a good sport. He would, you know, like swimmers take your marks and make the whole, you know, the whole thing. So it was always, always a production. Swimming was always very imaginative to me. And I would assume watching your dad swim every morning doing his laps, um, which we're going to add that to the list. Everybody needs a lap counter too. We're going to add that to the, yeah, we need an intro person, (laughs) hair, makeup and a lap counter. Um, I'm very skilled. (laughs) I've been doing it for years. (laughs) That you, what did you take away from his work ethic, from the consistency, the repetitiveness, and also finding a way like the dude builds a pool in the backyard so we could get his laps in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and we had to even, I think he had been, not kitty corner, but like they had to redo some of the backyard because of, you know, zoning or whatever. It has to be so far from the fence and so far from the house. Um, it's, I, one of the many things I love about my father is his commitment, not only to doing what he says he's going to do, but his commitment to himself and showing up every day, whether that's in business or for his family 
or in the pool. Um, it, it, I don't want to say it was a non-negotiable, but it just, there wasn't, there wasn't really a question. That was his time. And I think I love swimming. My dad loves swimming. He swam, you know, in like Long Island Sound as a kid. He's from the Bronx and um, the water was always his sacred space. And setting aside that time, I think in the day that was his not just physical, but I think spiritual time with God, with himself. Um, and then I think too, he liked setting that example for his kids. No, you know, no matter what sport you picked or what activity you did, you always did it consistently and you gave it your best. And however that looked on the day was just fine, but you showed up, you showed up and, and did it. Mm. Did you have any moments, you know, as we have interviewed many athletes and triathletes and swimmers, did you have any moments of um, disagreement with the sport of swimming? Like, did you have any, is your, has your relationship always been smooth or have you had uh, challenges? After college, I vowed, it's like, I'm done. I've spent, I've been on a pool deck at 4am for the better part of my 20 year, 20, you know, I will not. And I took, gosh, maybe six or seven years probably where I just swam and, you know, swam for fun, didn't do laps whatsoever. Um, and then good old triathlon <laughs> jumped back in and I thought, okay. Uh, and swimming now, swimming used to be I loved it, but it was very competitive. And um, now I think because I won't ever reach, get back to the times that I had in college and, you know, the 20,000, like 20,000 yard workouts, I was a mid distance swimmer was very, uh, you know, morning and afternoon, five days a week. And it's like, you know, the crazy amount of distance. And once I learned to accept that 5k is a decent. I was like, we used to do this as a warm up. Like I get to get out of the pool. I'm not going to be in here for the next two hours. So it's changed from a competition element to just a, I just love to swim and be in the water. And uh, I don't know, some days I still look at the clock and go, oh boy, if your, if your college coach could see you now. <laughs> You're not making those hundreds, hundreds on the minute anymore, are you? <laughs> um, but it's it, in a way, I think that's a fun, a fun transition to have in sport to not put such pressure on yourself and, and, you know, it, getting to a good friend of mine would do some workouts with me and we would talk on the, you know, while we were kicking and I thought, boy, this was never allowed. <laughs> I didn't, did not know you could talk while you kick. <laughs> and it's like, wow, well, this is actually really enjoyable. <laughs> so it's, I see swimming differently now, um, not just from an athletic perspective, but to appreciate it for what it is for so many other people. Seeing people, triathletes fall in love with swimming is one of my favorite things and watching them learn, get comfortable in the water and learn how to be more efficient and, and say that they think swim workouts are, you know, fun and challenging. I think that's, which I guess maybe like having kids seeing the world through their eyes 
makes you enjoy it that much more. So seeing the world through non-swimmer eyes is, it makes the sport of swimming pretty fun. Hmm. I was just going to say, is your dad still swimming? He, yes. Uh, not as consistently anymore. Um, he is 79 now. So, um, doesn't, I think, I think doesn't get in the pool as often as he likes, but, um, when I am home and around the two of us will still swim side by side in, in that same lap pool because they live in the same house. So, oh, that's so amazing. I love that. It's really, it's yeah. I'm Um, lucky, very lucky. So let's talk about, um, I I alluded to it just a little bit that, you know, it all started in the backyard pool, which is so cool. Obviously you took it through college and then you get a bike for a birthday gift. And so tell us about your entry into triathlon and what age was that? Like, when did you get into that? 27 or 28 maybe. Um, and yes, it was a boyfriend at the time. So gosh, bless him. That was a long lasting benefit um, of, you know, he was a triathlete and wanted me to bike with him, you know, and participate. And I, gosh, I think back to, you know, the same thing we all do, learning how to clip into your pedals, understanding the rules of the road. Um, you know, I don't, I don't even think I had like sunglasses the first time I went to ride my bike, which now, you know, is appalling to me thinking, you know, all the, but I had only ridden a bike. I mean, the last time I rode a bike was in college and it was a beach cruiser (laughs) and you don't, you know, you're not touring around. So all the little components, um, of learning how to cycle. And then it, it, it very naturally flowed into, oh, triathlon is very fun. And, and my first triathlon ever was the San Diego International Triathlon, which I don't, I don't know if they still have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, <laughs> I mean, it was an Olympic distance, but to a, I know now people do an Ironman for their first one, which baffles my mind. Um, but to me at that time, it was like, wow, I'm really going to, you know, the swimming obviously wasn't a big deal, but I thought, oh, I'm really going to have to be on my bike for a while. And then I'm going to have to do some running. And it was, it was intimidating. And, um, my brother agreed, who's another just best, best friend and supporter. He ran the last, what was it like three miles with me? Cause I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish this six, you know, how many miles of running. And, um, just looking back on that experience when triathlon was fun and purely finishing was the ultimate component and enjoying the day and, you know, in the swimming to biking transition, I stopped, I hugged my cousins, I gave, you know, you do this and it's uh, applied sunscreen liberally. Um, and just, you know, took in the scene, uh, talked to people around me. I don't know. Sure. It was a 15 minute transition. Um, and that kind of naive, genuine love of the sport and just participating in something in general. I mean, gosh, I don't know that I've had it since uh, because you very quickly want to be better than the time before you learn, you know, you start looking at the age of someone, you know, on the calf in front of you and you're like, Oh, either I should be faster than that person or that person's in my age group or, you know, which is, is I guess probably the natural transition of things as you participate in the sport. But 
So uh, from there, it just, I loved it from the first, the first race. I just thought it was so much fun and wanted to do more. I, I did what most triathletes do. I got a little bit obsessed. Training became the priority. You know, you miss family functions and birthdays and you don't socialize as much anymore. And everything becomes about your training plan and performance optimization, I guess. And luckily the last, I guess, six or seven years, I've realized it's way more fun to live a balanced life <laughs> than it is to, <laughs> to be obsessed with all things performance metrics. So yeah, now, it, now I just like it. I do. Like, I don't have any race. I don't think I have any races on the calendar. It's I swim and bike and run and socialize and try to, I would say my motivation is staying just enough in shape that if Hillary, for example, texts me and says, hey, we're going to go for a 70 mile bike ride. Would you like to join us? I would at least be able to keep up. Like I want to be able to still do the things with my friends that do these, you know, long distances and I I don't want to miss out. (laughs) That's so funny. I love how I love the normalcy of long, long time athletes, right? Like I want to stay in shape just enough. That I could hop into a 70-mile ride and keep up. <laughs> I love it, though. It's it's great. And I think, yeah, I think, like, we first get in and we get obsessed. I remember in uh, 2013, I had already been in the sport for quite some time, and I was in a yoga teacher training, and I was telling the the my yoga teacher about results stocking, right? And how like there was a race coming up and like you got to look at last year and what if she comes back and blah, blah, blah. And after a little bit, I started to watch his expression. And at the end, he just said, that's sick. You know that, right? Like that's, that's sick. It's like a sickness. <laughs> and I was like, it is kind of stressful. Well, <laughs> I might know it logically, but emotionally... <laughs> Still gonna. It's funny. I haven't thought about that race. That's exactly what you do. Yeah, race results stocking. So funny. But I think that you know, like we've been talking, like as the years go by, you get experience, you get more skin in the game, and then you realize it really is. At least for me, it's like we were talking about this yesterday too. Like the best self, right? Like always doing your best, and it's much more than the time. It's much more than the result. Those things are such fabulous bonuses. Like the W is amazing. Like who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want it? That's so yummy. I love that. But how are you showing up? How are you fueling? Right. Um, which is probably a good segue into what we want to talk about. How are you fueling? How are you letting go, you know, of what did or did not go well? And, um, how did you navigate the ebbs and the flows of the race? And it's just so much more. And it truly is, it truly is a lifestyle. And you know, at any time you could pop a race on the calendar and, and get ready. But that lifestyle of knowing that you can hop into 50, 75 mile ride, like, that's amazing. It feels so good to have a strong body like that. It does. It does. And I think it it's enough to motivate us, I guess is the right word, to keep showing up and keep prioritizing health. I, because as life gets busy, there's other things, work, family, social, you know, the stress of everyday life living in America, <laughs> um, that, you know, other things could come in, but yet we always have that to to kind of set and build a foundation on, which I think we're pretty, we're pretty lucky we get to do that. Yeah. 
And so as we know, right, like as we've been talking about that, you know, being your best self in triathlon is much more than the result, but it's not just about the physical movement. It's about everything, right? And nutrition is a huge piece of it. And I love the way that you organically, um, you know, stepped into this role. You had a heavy background in science. So obviously like you are already, you are already watering seeds. Um, but tell us the progression of coming into being a sports performance nutritionist. So the short version is, I, as you mentioned earlier, I do have a lot of different degrees, but that is because I am a school nerd. I will go to school. If I could find someone to pay for it, I would go to school full time for the rest of my life. I love, I love learning. I love being in a classroom. Um, I loved my time as a teacher and a professor. Uh, so continually trying to understand from a science perspective how the world works and biologically and chemically. I have always had that fascination or interest. And then the nutrition component kind of came in twofold. One, I uh, got a job as an educator for Vega, a plant-based supplement company. And I just, I, that was the first time that I was given the opportunity to see the connection between science and nutrition and kind of the importance of understanding the way the body works and understanding the way the food that we eat and put into our body has an effect um, and being able to explain it biologically and scientifically. Um, And then time kind of spent in that world that's what sparked the plant-based certification and learning about a plant-based lifestyle um, and understanding the differences, kind of the, the different paths that people could take to health. Um, and then on the side, being a triathlete, uh, you know, the sw- swim pool in the locker room after, after workouts, listening to people talk about, you know, oh, uh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm skipping, I'm skip, I'm not having breakfast because I'm trying to lose weight with this. And, um, and so eavesdropping on people's conversations and thinking in my head, mm, I don't think that's really a good idea. And then, you know, listening to them talk about different sports supplements that they were using and the ridiculous promises that some of these companies will make, you know, this will burn fat burning and this will, um, spark, you know, endurance performance and it will make you fast. And I recall very vividly thinking, well, that's not how the human body works. I don't really know why they can say that. So I didn't know much about the sports performance side. I knew how the human body worked and that enough people asking me questions. Oh, well, you're, you know, you're a scientist. Can you explain this? And like, oh, well, this is how your body gets dehydrated. And this is, you know, And I went, wait a second, this might actually be a career, a sport that I love and an industry that I love and combining with the knowledge that I have. So I went back to school um, and decided, yeah, this is actually the best of all worlds. I get to combine passion and function and still get to be a people person. And still, I think at heart, I'm an educator and a teacher. And so I still get to do that every day with different, with my athletes, with larger groups, um, through webinars and presentations and podcasts. So I 
fell into it. Although I, like you said, all these little seeds along the way, I think, oh, okay. It all did work out just the way that it was supposed to. Yeah. Um, so let's talk, let's dive in a little bit, uh, into nutrition. One of the things that, that we have found, um, and it's funny because I was saying to BJ that I feel like sometimes I'll ask other coaches or other people we've had in the podcast and I'm like, are we the only ones that are seeing this? Athletes that are not, they're not taking in enough. They're not, do you see this? All the time. And can we talk about the effects of that? Um, I mean, you can you can go as sciencey as you want to here. I would love because I I love the body as well, and it's just so miraculous what happens in there with us not doing much than peeling open a package and putting something in there, uh, and all and everything that goes on without us having to do another thing. But if we're not fueling enough, what is going on? Sure, I think there's probably two sides to this coin, not fueling enough and not fueling with the right things. And I think the not fueling enough is something I see with maybe 80% of the athletes and teams that I get to work with. And I think, especially in the sport of triathlon, it's a little different with my football and rugby players and, you know, in some of the sports where bigger uh, physique is better, but in something like triathlon or Olympic runners that I've worked with, the body composition component and the leaner is better mentality fuels that fear of consuming enough food. And the I think too, this, a lot of people will get into triathlon because they think it's, it's a, a good diet program, if you will, like, oh, well, I like exercise and this will help me lose weight or this will help me do this. And so their mindset is already kind of pre-programmed to I'm going, I'm not, I'm not going to eat enough or I'm going to eat less. And in being honest, you can do sessions without enough food. We've all done them, whether on purpose or on accident. Um, it, it, it's not, it's not, you know, if your car doesn't have gas in a race, your vehicle won't go, but our bodies have enough gas or fuel on board that we can still do some of these sessions. And it doesn't, the negative impacts don't show up immediately in many cases. And so it's very easy for us to underfuel consistently for long periods of time. And then on top of that, get used to feeling the way that we feel. And so it's kind of the perfect storm where you don't even know that you're underfueling and not performing as well as you could because you've been living underfueled for so long and you're still doing your workouts, most of them pretty decently. So it's a, all of this outside, all these outside things are, are enabling you to not consume enough food. And then the problem that we have eventually what they now call REDS syndrome. It used to be the female athlete triad, but they realized that the implications are with both men and women. It's that relative energy deficiency in sport, which is the culmination of not consuming enough for your body to properly recover, repair, and rebuild for those future sessions. And the problems that we see in the, in the immediate term, it's you're tired all the time. 
you're not hitting your performance markers. Um, your, you know, even some in the immediate sense can have heart palpitations. And, uh, but in the, as you go along, you start seeing for females, loss of our cycle, hair loss, night sweats. Um, it could be a dramatic loss, weight loss, or it could be a weight increase if your body's responding by holding on to the few calories that you are actually consuming. Um, and then eventually it's chronic fatigue, it's um, uh, stress fractures, it's osteoporosis, so low bone density, uh, sarcopenia, which is uh, low muscular, you know, low muscular tone throughout the body. So you're, you can only deprive your body long for a, a certain amount of time before it really does start to shut down and say, you know, we thank you for playing, but we're not going to do this anymore. There are significant consequences. And that's the scary thing is, which we've seen, I mean, uh, uh, with multiple pro triathletes, I think Holly Lawrence was one of the most recent ones to say, I was vastly under fueling and I performed really well for a year or two. And then it all came crashing down. You know, my body caught up, everything caught up with me the the fueling that the improper fueling that I was doing and on the flip side I think Lionel Sanders is a great example of going through times where he either didn't consume the right foods or you know he was trying to really drastically cut weight and he said the same thing I my performance suffered dramatically I couldn't keep the paces I couldn't maintain endurance so under fueling whether it comes from a lack of knowing what to do or a very purposeful calorie restriction in the end, it's, it doesn't make you a better athlete. It, it causes serious long-term injury and, and mentally too. It's, it's very hard to come back from um, that mindset of constant underfueling. I, I like the, the lulling effect that you talk about this lulling effect of like, you start to underfuel and you perform well. So then this belief is created because you're repeating it that says, this is just the way things are. You know, I can do the workouts, but I'm normally tired. And then that becomes the, the normal state. And then they're not, or athletes aren't aware that there can be another way. Like the awareness factor, again, knowing like what's really happening here. And I think that, I don't know how you break that. Well, I guess you just explained it. It's injury. It's all these signs that you see, but sometimes they don't even... They might not even see that. No, no. And convince, it's funny, in a sport where I really feel like we all love to eat, it's very hard to convince athletes to eat enough. That's and it's so like, true. why Why are you fighting me on this? And having in, in full, fully admitting, I was underfueling uh, because I partially from, you know, the disordered eating perspective of leaner is better. Um, but I started to see results like, oh, I'm faster in the pool. I feel better. I don't have the digestive issues that I used to have, um, you know, and then it catching up with you, hair loss, night sweats, loss of cycle, that it's like, it's very easy to think that you're doing well and to think that you're doing okay, even, um, 
and convince yourself that I'm taking, I'm, I'm taking care of myself. I'm still getting my workouts done. I'm still showing up for the sessions, but until you've been properly fueled and really had, I, I want to say months, not days or weeks, but consistent months of great training, great sleep, great nutrition. Only then do you really understand the power that food and proper fueling can have on you as an athlete. Mm. I mean, do you guys see that in your athletes? Yeah, 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 we do. Um, And then we see when we get immediate feedback when, well, BJ's more, I do more of the mindset piece, but I do all the mindset piece, but um, you see it more, Beach. Like if you, if you're looking at nutrition or whatever, you get immediate feedback that you, they felt better. Yeah. Once they start fueling, you know, I, I, well, I look at the workout on my, and what did you take in? I will ask them and usually it's nothing or very little. And I, and I would be, and so let's paint the bigger picture. Like there's not just the workout, there's waking up, there's getting ready for the day. There's doing your job. There's the stressful phone calls you need to make or interactions with other people. There's family, there's all these things and you're not fueling, um, a workout and, yeah, I see it. I see it way too much. I would not be able to complete half the workouts some of these athletes complete on no calories. Like, and I have a, I'm going to be on, I have a low stress life. Like I've created this, this stress, low stress life, but I had to work at it and I still need, I still need calories. So that's definitely something I feel, but a lot of times they don't know what to reach for. Yes. Um, yes. and that becomes the do you see so that too? Yeah. yeah. And that's that other side. It's not just under fueling, it's fueling properly. And I think because we all eat food, we tend to think of ourselves as experts in the area of nutrition. And it's like, I know myself, I know my body. Um, I know what I should be eating or what I like to eat. And then unfortunately, now in our this wonderful age of social media, and Instagram and whatever, they're just really toxic messages for athletes or for people in general on what you should be eating or what you shouldn't be eating. And um, there's just enough science out there that people can spin a study to look whatever way they want. You know, fat oxidation is great for this. Keto is great for that. High fat, low carb is best for this. Carbohydrate, you know, high carbohydrate is needed for that. And so on top of thinking, I already know food well enough to then getting very competing messages from multiple sources that we trust because, you know, everything you see on Instagram or Twitter is reliable. Um, And I'm rolling my eyes at this for people listening that don't see it. Uh, What are you know, what are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to know what to fuel with properly. And you might have a coach that tells you something, but you might have, you might see a professional athlete that uses something else, which as we all know, they may or may not. It depends, it depends who's paying them. <laughs> I can't tell you what's actually in someone's water bottle versus what the outside of the water bottle says can be two very different things. Um, but yeah, they, they're the confusion. And I appreciate and respect that, uh, and empathize with athletes to know just, you know, the amount of times I said, just tell me what to do. I, should I go low carb? Should I go high carb? Should I eat a bar? Should I have a gel? You know, they, they're very open to suggestion. They just want someone to help them and tell them 
just make it easy for me. <laughs> All of my other bandwidth is used to do the training, to, you know, be at work, to be with my family. Just make it, just make it simple. And you have made it simple. And I want to talk about that, but the, I want to switch gears to another subject. If we feel, you feel complete yeah. on that one. Yeah. Um, the health of the gut that is showing up at the starting line. And so we, we here in, in this, in this camp over here, um, definitely believe that the, the health of the, like the, a healthy gut and race day success doesn't, doesn't happen between the start and the finish line, that the majority of that is happening in our everyday, how we're eating, what we're eating, when we're eating, but also how we're eating. That's another big one. You know, are we chewing our food? I'm kind of a big, like, food chewing person to make sure that we're breaking the food down so the body can digest it. Um, but yeah, so the health of the gut that we're bringing to the start line, and you can just jump wherever you want to go with that. Well, we could jump into a lot of places. This is, uh, I think, uh, so first and foremost, if you want to show up to race day as a healthy not immunocompromised functional athlete, your gut must be under control. And, you know, there are plenty of people that arrive and, you know, haven't taken a probiotic or seen a fermented food in 20 years, unless it was some sauerkraut on a hot dog they got at a stadium. So I realized... Which just canceled everything. Right, out. right. So I, I realized that plenty of people are still performing you know, fine or whatever. But if you back to that, if you really want to optimize performance for the day and optimize your experience, right? Like great, it's fun to race, but it is not fun to race with GI distress all day. Mm -hmm. So if you, you know, you're only, they'll pay for coaching, they'll pay for a fast bike, they'll pay for, you know, metabolic testing or VO2 testing, but yet won't do these simple things of taking care of the health of your gut that, you know, is responsible for things like mood and, and depression and motivation and um, immunity and, you know, all of these other important bodily functions. So I'm with you on the fact that in general, we have to take care of our gut. And it's not as easy as taking a probiotic supplement, which is important, especially in the standard American diet, if people aren't paying attention to fermented foods and things like yogurt and kefir and miso and kraut and all of these, a probiotic is at least a good start and probably important for many people. Um, but also then understanding that on race day, you're going to be asking a lot of your gut. And so you need to make sure that you are training it the same way that you would train your body for months leading up to race day. So it's not just about arriving healthy. It's about teaching your gut and body to absorb electrolytes, carbohydrates in many forms uh, at a high intensity for a long duration of time. And the gut is very trainable. It's the, which we're very lucky. Um, but you can't, you know, train on maybe 20 grams of carbohydrates an hour because going back to that underfueling component and then show up on race day and think you're going to be just fine with 12 gels and two bars on the bike and maybe some, you know, electrolyte beverage you just 
picked up at the race expo. <laughs> this, is a, this is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> so uh, take care of your gut in the meals that you eat daily and, you know, trying to, if, uh, outside of performance, trying to give your body the nutrients that it needs in all of your meals. But then specifically in your training sessions, this is where you're actually preparing your gut for what you're asking of it on race day. Mm-hmm. With with that, just a little a piece of your everyday nutrition. What about what about timing of it? So you get off of work late. You've got you get home at nine o'clock. You hop on the trainer. You bike for ninety minutes. You do your workout. Now it's like eleven o'clock at night. I, this happens, and then they're going to eat, and then they get up at five o'clock the next morning. So in the period of I guess five and a half hours, you're trying to come down from the workout, trying to digest your food, get some peaceful rest, and then be able to be able to be awake the next day. So can you speak to- I feel very to- sorry for that human being. <laughs> that is, they are, they are really asking a lot of their body. <laughs> um, I would say this is where personal preference and digestion, I, if this was my athlete, I would say let's eat just enough. It would probably be more of a liquid- meal at if it's 11 11 30 at night this would be like a loaded smoothie almost um because that's a little easier for them to digest and i would have fed them beforehand with a very good you know uh maybe called a pre-dinner if you will to get some of the you know to get vegetables and and some grains and fiber in there enough beforehand that i still feel like they're having a, a good meal um, so maybe that would be, I don't know, 4 p.m., which who wants to eat dinner at 4 p.m., but kind of you have to make it work. Um, and then they do their training session at nine and then they have uh, some kind of a liquid meal. But that, that's still supplying them with the protein and carbohydrates that they need for recovery and to have that night of sleep. And then that breakfast when they wake up, I would say that would be an important opportunity mm. really to refuel and set them up for the day ahead. Mm. I think is because if you, know, you can't they I mean, I know we do it, but day after day, it'd be pretty hard to eat a traditional dinner at 1130 PM and ask your body to fall asleep at 12 and wake back up again at five. That's, you know, and then feed it again. Like, yeah, and then yeah, yeah. It, and it's still say, working. It, it's still working on. Yeah, dinner. at that mm-hmm. point, at that yeah. point, I would say you know maybe not that I think that fasting is great for all instances, but that might be the case where you say, okay, maybe you don't eat until eight or nine or ten in the morning. Like maybe if you still, if you do have that big meal before bed, you shouldn't be hungry at five in the in the morning. Let's potentially push that feeding window back a little bit. Yeah, and give the body a chance yeah. to digest. There's a there's a book that I've read called The Yoga Way. It talks about um, in relation to not giving the body enough time to digest the food. It says if you're always at the front door letting people in, you're never going to clean your closets. Mm. I love that. Yeah, right. I love yeah. that. It's so simple. It's it's like if you're just always there, like, oh yeah, come on in, come on in. Get yes. your closets. You're never going to be able to walk away from the door to clean the closets. And and that time in between eating is so important because, as we have mentioned, this body is so amazing and it's always organizing towards health. Um, it 
it will, as, as it takes a break from us letting people in the front door, it will be able to heal other places in the body. Yes. Yeah. That's yes. so cool. That's an excellent, excellent analogy. I'm going to use that. Use it. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Yeah, yoga is very simple. They, they they're very good at telling mm-hmm. stories um, for teachings. Stories, yeah. yeah, it's I love that one. That I'll never forget. That I was like, it's so true. Um, yeah, and I think you know fermented foods like we typically do. Um, we just we do a lot of sauerkraut. BJ was put you were putting sauerkraut down like early, like after our swim this morning. He was eating sauerkraut in the kitchen. Um, Not a ton of it. I just feel yeah. for me, I feel like like you were talking about. It's my probiotic. I've been doing it for for a while, a couple of years now since I heard it somewhere. Um, <laughs> to to and my gut, I. I got to be honest, I haven't been sick in a long, long time. I'm not going to say it's just because of sauerkraut. I do live a very, again, stressless do, life yeah. and I exercise and meditate and do all those things. But I feel like you do the stuff to clean, to, to take care of, I guess we're 70 plus 70% or more of your immune system is in your gut. So your second brain, they call it, I guess. Yes, so you'd want to yes. feed it good things. And I just tend to do sauerkraut, but yeah, I'm sure there's other alternatives. Yes. And that's where you can get, you know, any fermented food, yogurts, um, kefir, miso, uh, kimchi, which is, you know, kraut-ish. What about tempeh? Is temp- tempeh? Yes. It's Yeah. Fermented. That's also yep. fermented. Yep. Mm. yep. Yeah. I like tempeh. Yeah. That's a and a great, great source of protein for plant-based athletes. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a win. It's an absolute <laughs> win. And I think to your case, it's the consistency of doing it, right? It's not... It's not just going on a kick for a while or throwing in a bit of, you know, highly processed sugary yogurt for a snack every now and then you, you very clearly said like, it's part of my life now. It's part of my routine. It's, you know, the, the way that some people don't go without coffee, we probably should all be making sure we don't go without fermented foods. Yeah. Yeah. Consistency. Um, It's like our favorite word. Well, it makes a difference. What <laughs> do is. you, for people listening, what do you, how do you like to do the kraut? Do you put it on something? Do you fork it right in? What's in case most, they, in case they want to get into the, yeah. the art of sauerkraut? Most stuff. So I will, I will share this often with our team and, you know, on lives and stuff that I do. And the, the biggest rebuttal is like, I don't like the taste of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think that that I too, I, I growing up, I didn't like sauerkraut. I did not like it growing up. But it, it's changed. Things have changed. There's different flavors now. There's turmeric and there's beet kraut and there's different alternatives. But, you know, most often I'll take a fork, just a fork full of it every day and just, you know, throw it down. Um, Wednesday nights, we usually go to the farmer's market and we get like Prager Brothers bread, which you're going to want to. Have you um, had Pragers yet? No. No, oh, and I okay. haven't been to the farmer's market oh, yet. Okay. So okay. now we have a yeah, so <laughs> a Prag- destination. <laughs> yeah, so Prager's are these two brothers and they make bread here in Carlsbad and they make it the old-fashioned way. So it's all mm. a sourdough. So it's really yummy on the tummy. Um so Wednesday nights we go down and we hit Prager's and then we hit uh JR's organic farm and we get a whole bunch of greens and things and we just like and we go to the hummus guy and we load it all up on the bread and then we top it with sauerkraut. And that's like our Wednesday night delicious. And then we watch the rerun of This Is Us. <laughs> oh, I love that show. I really Only do. Only more episodes. <laughs> sh- sh- not, not emotionally ready for that okay. just yet. <laughs> so funny. So, hold hold on. I, it's, 
I also like it on salads. I'll put it on tofu scramble. I'll put it yes, on, yes. Um, you know, if 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 and when I indulge in like a sandwich that I'll make with like sweet potatoes and tempeh, I'll put a little bit of that in there. Um, so yeah, I mean, Beach's soup. He's like, you know, he's like fork right out of the out of the container is not out of his wheelhouse at all. He just, you know, he's just going to go the simplest route. Um, it works, but I think mm-hmm. it works on a lot of things. It like. Does. It's very few things that I find it won't work on. And to translate that to racing, like my, my, we were just talking about it. We just raced Saturday, a long race, five, six, seven, eight hour race. We haven't had nutritional issues in year, like years when it comes to (laughs) racing. And yeah, I, I, I understand we need to practice it and train your gut. But like what you do every day is really important. And if you can get like 80, 90% of your day, like dialed in, of course, you're going to, you know, have some chocolate chips or whatever, tortillas or I mean, uh, chips, I guess I'm talking to myself. (laughs) Uh, But for the most part, if you're keeping that healthy system, I think when you get to race day, you can handle the sugars, like you can handle that as your fuel, I believe. Yeah, I think, I think to an extent, definitely. And if you are... I think the other reason I try to convince athletes to practice beforehand is because they'll either forget, you know, they're so focused on the race itself or they won't fuel, like they won't do it consistently throughout. And so they will be, you know, 85 miles into their 112 miles and like, Oh, I haven't had anything to eat or drink. I wonder why I feel, you know, so I would prefer to have them to, for it to be habitual long before they show up and not just because it'll be easier, but because that's one less, I tell them you have so much to worry about during the, during your race. Why should like nutrition shouldn't have to be one of those components. You should have your plan a and you should have a plan B because in triathlon, it, almost always you need some kind of plan B for something. And so that way it's, you know what you're going to be doing and you can focus on hitting power, watts, pace, enjoying the scenery. I don't know, <laughs> seeing your loved ones, like something, <laughs> something fun, um, you know, that so that you can really experience the race as it is meant to be experienced and you're not do I eat 15 minutes, 40 minutes, 30 minutes? Have I had a bar? Did I do this? Should I be drinking? It should just be second nature at that point. Yeah. We know we can, we know we can map the brain like through, through repetition habit so that it's just natural. Like it's just, I don't even think I'm just fueling like during that, during that race on Saturday, like just like fueling, fueling. I was like, oh, there's another bottle, you know, bottle an hour. I was like, oh, that's right up. But I'm not yes. looking like, oh, it's 15. Oh my exactly. God. It's, gotta, exactly. it's just a, this natural behavior that, that we, um, that we can practice. And I love how you're saying like, it's not days, it's not even weeks, um, months. And then as you stay in the sport, yes, it's, it's years. It's years of the consistency of all of it, right? The, the, all of it. And, and that includes, you know, finding those moments or being aware of those moments where you're out of balance in your life and what do you need to come back into balance? Like all of it, all of it. We can get really good, I think, at all of it by just by be, just being aware. Um, so I want to talk about Fuelin because I think it's super cool. And I don't think, is anybody, like, is this the first app of this type of, like that it's tying into? Yes. 
Okay, I'm talking yes. in half sentences because I'm really psyched about it. Um, you tell, you tell us. So <laughs> yes, so the Fuelin app uh, links your training. So whatever you have in Training Peaks or Today's Plan or whatever that software is, with it, it comes in to the app, and we then can make food recommendations, daily recommendations based on your training based on your racing, based on goals. So when they sign up for the app, we have a whole list of questions of, you know, uh, can you, can you do fasted training? Uh, what races do you have coming up? What are your training cycles? What is your, you know, goal weight? What eating pattern? Are you a vegan, omnivore, pescatarian? Um, you know, and so all of these things come in and then we are able, Scott and myself as coaches to dial in someone's nutrition, which, you know, both of us very much believe in periodized nutrition. You don't, every day isn't necessarily the same. I mean, there's some consistency or congruency if a lot of our training looks the same, but if you're in a build, a big training block build, we want to make sure that you're consuming enough calories. If you're, um, especially, <coughs> excuse me, leading up to, you know, a longer brick session or this race that you did, I would want to make sure on Friday, the day before that you had enough carbohydrates so that your glycogen stores are supplied. And, and the beauty from the athlete's side is it's all right there for them. They have every day logged in. They don't have to worry about counting calories. I mean, on their end, they want to look to, you know, see what it is they're supposed to be eating, but it clearly lays out all of the macronutrients, we will say this session, this is a session you should be doing sweat testing, or this is a session you should be doing carbohydrate testing so that you can start training your gut and practicing and building. And, um, you know, it, they have then the ability, there's recipes so they can pick from any of our recipes um, and I can suggest them. So a lot of my athletes, you know, I know their dietary preferences and I'll say, you know, this is a the system goes, uh, it's like a traffic light system, red, amber, and green. And so the red days or meals are lower carbohydrates, amber are moderate and green or higher carbohydrates. And I can say, you know, today's a higher carbohydrate day. I know you like, you know, the Buddha bowl that this recipe, I've seen you use it before. I think this is a good time to have this. I want you to have this snack beforehand. And so it takes all of the guesswork out from their end it gives them the confidence to know that they're fueling themselves properly and with enough. And then on my end, I get to see as their coach, not only what they're doing, but then because I have their training peaks, I can see how they're performing, how the session went. Um, I get to work with a lot of their coaches. You know, it's a, it's a three-way, I actually just wrote an article on this for training peaks. It's a three-way relationship between a coach and a dietitian and an athlete. And I can say, you know, they were, I'm seeing that they're eating better. What are you noticing on your side as a coach? And they're, you know, or I'm seeing they're struggling right now. Should I be fueling them differently? Should I, um, you know, you know, this athlete very well. I would like to give them, you know, I'd like to increase their protein intake after these strength sessions. You know, how are you seeing their body respond? So it's really a kind of one-stop shop for all things performance and nutrition. Well, I think that's the, that's the model we're seeing now. You mentioned Lionel, you mentioned, you know, Holly, this is the model now. They just don't have one coach. It's just not a, that's that those days are, are slowly slipping away. I think it's, it's team approach. It's getting these specialists in there, but having, having the person up top that 
sort of sees it all, but but is not protective of, yes. you know, this is mine, this is my way to do it, or it's the highway. It's like, how can we all work together? I think Ben Canute is a really good example. Um, we had his running coach, Bobby McGee on. Um, he uses, um, I forgot who he uses for strength and performance. I forgot his name. Um, he's got Jim Vance, um, yes. who uses, you know, today's yes. plan um, for him. So it's this, it's this team of coaches, which really is going to get the best um, out of the athlete. Yeah. And this is, I guess, affordable and uh, available for those of us that aren't Lionel Sanders and, you know, Holly Lawrence and uh, Lucy Charles, like you get the best of both worlds in that you feel very taken care of by a team of, by a team of people. Um, and you know, we do weekly webinars for the athletes where they can come and ask questions or we have topics and, um, they, you know, cheer each other, just like I know, I'm sure with all of your athletes as a team, you cheer each other on for races and you talk about, you know, things that they have coming up and they can ask each other questions. So it's just a, a really unique platform for teaching, which is what I really love teaching people about how to fuel their body properly. I love it. It's so cool. I, it's it's one of the, it's like when we talked to um, Bill from Athletic Brewing. It's like, like why didn't anybody make a really good brew twenty years ago? It's like, of <laughs> course you want your nutrition showing up right in your training plan. Like, I love that, and it's and it's okay um, to to hold the hand, right? Like, it's yeah. okay to to need your your hand held a little bit, especially when it's coming something as as important as nutrition and nutrition is not the only thing, but it's one of the biggest, it's mm -hmm. big, 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 right? We can't live without food. Um, and how we fuel is everything to our performance and also just the longevity in sport longevity, you know, and, and being able to support the body that's always organizing back to that homeostasis, always organizing towards health being able to support that over the long term because we only get we just got one one of these bodies one of these bodies that's awesome and I'm so grateful that you I know it's like it's nice to know that there are athletes being coached by people like you that place such a high importance on that and set an example which I think is the other component athletes need to see their coaches or their guides or what you know showing them that they place an importance on their health as well and their nutrition. And I think you two are very good examples of that in that you live daily what you're trying to get your athletes to do. Yeah. And that goes a long way. Yeah. I can't imagine. I just can't see any other uh, way. There's, yeah. There's just yeah, there's well, no other way. There's no other way. Like, you gotta, <laughs> but then these stinking athletes keep calling us to like walk our talk to like higher levels. I'm like, hold on a second. Hold on. You keep asking me to walk into like the scary things. <laughs> I okay. guess I have to say, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's, it's hold so good, on though. a second there. <laughs> yeah. Don't, so how, Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, don't call me out on, like, I don't want a dose of my own medicine. Thank you very much. Yeah. Just, right. <laughs> not taking my own advice. <laughs> I love when athletes tell me to be present. Oh, who's I talking? I was talking to <gasps> someone. Like, it was at the race this weekend. They were like, hey, that's not now. And I'm like, 
You're so oh, right. You're so right. Thank you. That's so not now, you know? <laughs> you're you're flattered and, and you're almost yes. proud that they have taken it to that next level. And at the same time, you're going, well, darn it. I've taught them, I taught them too well. They're going to call me out. Be I invented presents. Yes, don't tell me. No, I love it. It's amazing. We're ho- we, Everybody holding everyone accountable um, because we all, like to wrap this full circle, I do believe too, whether we are conscious or not conscious of it, that we all are moving towards that best self and that part of us that is really who we are um, is driving us there every day and that we all have that that deep driving desire. Um, for some, it might be under some more layers and for others, it's just, it's the driving force that gets them out of bed every day. But I believe like you, that it is who we all um, are here to become. So thank you so much for sharing with us. And um, I'm psyched that you're in town. And this is fabulous. <laughs> it's only Happens. the beginning. It's only the it beginning. Is. Yeah, I, I know. I'm like, oh, I think we need to have her on again. We need to talk about more things. Um, how can people, like, where can they find Fuel In and where can they find you and get more of you? Yes. So Fuel In uh, is in the App Store. You can, the, our website, fuelin.com, and it's F. U E L I N, not there's no G at the end. You know, we're cool like that. Um, <laughs> fuelin.com uh, and then get fuelin uh, on Instagram for the app and then just at inpine, I N P Y N, on Instagram or Twitter for me. Um, and email is all there. So, yeah, any you, you can't, you almost can't not find us hmm. if, if you, you'd have to work very hard not to, but yeah. That's those are those are the social platforms, as the kids say. Awesome. Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you again. It was so nice to to meet you and chat with you and connect with you, and hope to see you again soon. I I would love to see you in real life and again on this because you're right. I don't. We didn't get to cover you know some of our favorite nourishing foods. We didn't get to talk about. I for sure thought I was going to make time for mushroom powders. My new obsession, not new, the last like three years. Um, I love of all things mushrooms, which taken out of context sounds weird. Um, so yes, we have plenty, plenty to discuss. I just, I really enjoyed, this was a done podcast in the past. This was a very enjoyable, very soul filling experience. Thank you so oh, much. How wonderful. Thank you. And yeah, yeah you. okay. I want to hear, I want to talk about the shrooms too. <laughs> all right. First topic, shrooms. Good. <laughs> <laughs>